Hello, and welcome to Star Talk All Stars. I'm your host, David Grinspoon, aka Dr. Funky Spoon, on Twitter. And I'm here with my old friend and co host, Mr. Chuck Nice. Hey, David, how are you? I'm good. I almost said Dr. Chuck Nice. That's the, a measure of the esteem with <laughs> yeah. which I hold you. And, and everyone's nightmare simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about cosmic evolution, what unites the, all these narratives of the universe, the evolution of matter, of planets, of life, and cultures. Are there common threads we can draw to, to pull this story together? And in order to help us think about that, we have a very special guest today, um, another old friend of mine, Tyler Volk. Tyler is a professor of biology and environmental studies at NYU, and is the he's the author of several very provocative and cool and interesting books, one of which we're going to be talking about a little bit more today that's called Quarks to Culture, How We Came to Be. Welcome, Tyler. Thanks, David. Good to see you again. Good to see you. It's a, it's a pleasure to share a cosmos with such interesting and fun people to talk to. Um, and so you guys know the drill, I, regular listeners. Uh, basically, what happens here is Tyler and I attempt to have a serious conversation, and then Chuck interjects wisecracks, which... Oddly enough, turn out to often be wise, wise cracks, <laughs> and uh, enlivens the conversation. So uh, well, we hope. We'll see. We can only hope. We'll see about that. <laughs> Let's get started. So, so Tyler, uh, you've written about uh, the Gaia hypothesis, about you know, interesting ideas about evolution of life on Earth. I, f- I always find your books uh, provocative and uh, and enlightening. Your your new book. From quarks to culture, uh, it sounds very ambitious. You're telling us how the whole universe fits together. Um, and I, and, and if, if you were going to give somebody an elevator version of that, how does the universe fit together? Ooh, an elevator pitch. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought long and hard about this, but not, not until this moment have I had a chance to do it. Uh, well, I postulate a series of steps of combinations of prior simple things into more complex things, repeated and repeated, building up from the simplest things of physics to the complexities of culture. Mm. That's very cool. I mean, I think, you know, when I was a kid, and I bet every smart and maybe even dumb people <laughs> person had this thought when I was a kid. That means you. <laughs> was, <laughs> no, you I'm know, joking. What if, what if um, every atom is itself a solar system, you know, and what, what yeah. if there's a universe inside, you know, is there something to that? Are you, are you seeing this sort of common hierarchy at different scales in the universe? I mean, obviously, it's more complex than that. Is that a clever way of asking him if he smokes weed? <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to that. Yes and no. Yes and we'll no. come back to that oh, after. To your the show. question, David. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes and no. Well, the, the, there's there's differences. The, the only way we get from quarks to culture is if something different happens along the way. So it's not just a solar system repeated. Uh, but what repeats is the well. Let me put it right out there. I call it combogenesis. Combogenesis. Excellent. I love that. It's a really cool sounding name that I have no idea what it would what it would. So mean. so Genesis, uh, the origin, how you, you make things combo combination. So so you're creating things by combining things. Right, right. And w- what I have found, I needed a word that did not really exist in the English language. You found it, and I'm not. <laughs> so I'm not trying to coin words. Just right. For the hell of it, right? Exactly. Um, but uh, but but I wanted to go from physics into biology into culture through combogenesis as a theme. 
So on looking at the theme of combogenesis, are we seeing systems on smaller and smaller scales where there are repetitions in these type of formations? Is, is that part of what you're saying? Well, yes. What's repeated is the principle of newness with new relations as the large, more complex thing comes into existence. But I guess one thing here, and I hope I don't disappoint either of you two, but we're n probably not going to be talking about galaxies. Okay, I'm out of here. All right, show's it. over. Done. Thanks, oh, folks. Shit. This has been no. no. <laughs> Willing so, to bring in galaxies, but I was I was interested in specifically the line of combogenesis as a repeated theme that led to the human body. Hmm. So it's everything. But you go, you go even more. You go to society, and then right? our bodies, us as people, now into larger things. Now, of course, we are members of the Milky Way galaxy, but the Milky Way galaxy existed before us. True. So you don't actually. <laughs> so, 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 so I want so you, to follow. You're up. not that ambition. You merely go from quarks up to well, as the as the title says, quarks to culture, and you're leaving it for somebody else in the future to tell us how we go from that to the whole universe. And, so, and the subtitles, how we came to be, so not how a cloud came to be. Right, but they would have their own just, story. A cloud would have its. But here's my question as an astrobiologist. I mean, there's a lot, we, there, obviously there are a lot of places we go with this, but as an astrobiologist, I want to, I want to know, are you just talking about how we came to be, meaning Tyler, Chuck, and David, and, and the other people here in the room working on this show? That's right. Nobody us, else matters. Or are you talking about the human race or is it also- the collective we of Earth. Does this also help us understand how the Klingons got there? And um, what I want to know as an astrobiologist is to what extent is- life something that manifests out of the universe and therefore do these principles that you've come up with that explain how life here manifests earlier stages of the universe will that help us could it help us understand the possibilities for how something similar but obviously not identical might happen other places in the universe mm -hmm. all right great Lead-in question, David. Uh, Thank you. Let me, let me just say that, let me just lay one thing right out. So if you follow this logic that I put forth of combogenesis repeated, um, the geopolitical state that we are currently in is level 12 when I try to do the count. So it's not three, it's not 100. There's five within physics and chemistry, uh, four within biological evolution and three within cultural evolution. Now, you don't mean the geopolitical state that we're currently in, like the, new, Not, the news this week. Uh, then oh, we'd be excuse at, me. Then we're at DEFCON 11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Excuse me, excuse me. Yes, yeah, so, so let's, we, have to, we have to think, we have to go back to Mesopotamia. Maybe yeah, yeah. You mean the state we're in, like our civilization, as opposed to what was here on Earth before it. Right, with large buildings, with, with leaders, with writing, with priests, and that happened. And I, and I think we're still in it. And I'd like to get into maybe where is it going? Is, yes. is the planet, it, yes. your interest, David, is the planetary level a level 13? We'll We'll get, we'll get back. We'll get back to the future, but but to go back to the Klingon doc. I'm sorry, <laughs> I couldn't help myself. You said back to the future. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Had to be said. Had to be said. Uh, to go back to the Klingon question, just for just quickly, so that would um, that would make one ask, how many steps does it take to? Now, Klingon would be a civilization, so that would be the same. That would be level thirteen or fourteen, right? There now, they're out there in the star systems. 
but do they have eukaryotic cells in them? Do they have the prokaryotic cell? They would have had they would have had cells. Now you're going to have to, uh, for me, please, and maybe somebody like me listening, break down the prokaryotic cell and what is that? So, so our 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 human body is made of what's called eukaryotic cells, okay, um, which uh, also are form plants and form fungi. It's a certain kind of cell with a nucleus, okay, and it came into existence a couple billion years ago, right? And it came into existence from a merger or combogenesis of prokaryotic cells, of which bacteria and archaea are living examples okay. that still live perfectly fine by themselves. Right. But some of these cells merged to form a new kind of cell. It's not fully understood yet, uh -huh. all the biochemical and evolutionary details of that, but whatever happened, it allowed the, re the relations that the eukaryotic cells had allowed more complex life to come into existence. So well, that, that makes sense because when you look at us as beings, I mean, I, I believe that we are nothing more than a vehicle through which uh, bacteria can continue to, to exist. Absolutely. Like, seriously, when you look at us- We're their spaceships. We're, that's all we are. We're, we're, we're just walking around. We're basically a ride. That's what we are. We're the Uber for bacteria. Oh, man. No, I mean, there's something that's, to that, and that fits with that what that fits with what Ty was saying. This, this, <laughs> You're like, that is the most depressing thing I've ever heard, Chuck. Symbiogen symbio symbiogenesis, that, that, that organisms come about through mergers of simpler organisms, that, uh, an idea popularized by our good friend our and, good, I was and mentor, say, Lynn Margulis. Lynn Margulis. Who, uh, we cannot have this conversation without uh, mentioning the great Lynn Margulis, who came up with the theory of endosymbiosis, that yes. mergers of simpler cells were the source of evolutionary breakthroughs. And it seems like what you've done here is, in some ways, extend that same kind of thinking to smaller and larger scales. Is that a fair yes, statement? Yes, yes, that's a, that's a perfectly fair statement. I, I look back down into physics and chemistry, and we, we know that molecules came into existence from prior existing atoms. Now, not every molecule that currently exists because they can go undergo chemical reactions, but there had to be atoms before molecules. And I said, whoa, here's a pattern of merger that leads to something new in both those cases, atoms into molecules, Mm -hmm. and prokaryotic cells into eukaryotic cells. Now, it's not, a, it's not the same process. It cannot be the same process, or otherwise there wouldn't be anything new in the prokaryotic cell that was not already in an atom or yeah. molecule. Some, there's innovation in there, too. There's innovation. Yeah. So I, I, and I do see innovation as a key term that Dif I, at different I use scales. a lot. I use a lot. Like, what was the innovation? But I want to I go back and press you then on, on this question of relation to astrobiology. Sorry, I can't help it. That's, that's, <laughs> oh, what, okay. that's what Dr. Funky Spoon does. Okay, but, for, forgiven, forgiven. But, but so in your analysis of all these stages, then you mentioned prokaryotes, eukaryotes, and on up to organisms and societies, do you have any insight? Do you expect, based on what you've, the way you've thought about what happened here, do you expect those same stages, say on some other planet that has the same laws of physics and chemistry, but starts off 
you know, uh, a completely separate origin. Do you expect uh, those same stages to have existed, eukaryotic, prokaryotic organisms, societies, or some version of those? Or might that whole story that you've put together here be something that's just happened on this planet? Well, David and Chuck, let's see if we, we can agree on one thing. For sure, the five steps from the elementary particles of physics to molecules would exist everywhere. Well, that we know. I mean, we can observe molecules in distant galaxies. We know they're the same. Yes. And we look at the geology of Mars and mm -hmm. the volcanoes of Mars and the heating of Mars. Right. And so, so, so we know those five. So one big question is life, of course. Right. Uh, um, and, but, but through this analysis, it turns out that this eukaryotic cell, to return to that in a second, the complex cells in our bodies, um, is, it might be a pretty difficult step. It looks like mm. um, the, uh, plants and fungi and animals and amoebas and paramecia that are members of eukarya right. uh, all have a common ancestor. Uh, and it's not clear why this endosymbiogenesis symbiogenesis, um, or symbiogenesis that, David, you brought up, why that happened once in this major, major way that led right. to a totally new cell type. So there, so there could have been a sort of a hard step that maybe could have, didn't happen elsewhere. Okay, and with that, since you're an uh, astrobiologist, that hard step, is that a matter of uh, combining what's already there? Or is there a catalyst that must be introduced so we're looking at an outside force or agent that causes that hard step to take place? I'm just asking out of my own curiosity. Well, that's a great question. And of course, um, I, I'm interested in Tyler's take on that. But, I'm sorry. But, but, but as somebody who's- <laughs> I didn't mean, I didn't mean I to get away I, from you, Tyler, but, but, but one sparked me. But one thing I'll say that I don't think Tyler will disagree is we don't actually know. Okay. There are some big mysteries in the history of life. Why some of these gateways seem to to take a while and then suddenly life raced through um, like this. We don't know. And, you know, maybe maybe something hit the planet. Maybe something happened, you know. But I think our basic story is just that it was a matter of things combining and maybe some things took a while to sort of get lucky and hit on this combination and that it wasn't some sort of magical external um, catalyst. But can, can, I don't know, what, can, what's can your I, take, Tyler? Or can I toss another uh, sort of uh, toss away. Uh, you know, fact in there? So when we get to the multicellularity, once we had the eukaryotic cell and plants, animals, fungi, and actually kelp, which are a kind of algae that mm -hmm. look like plants, but they're a separate multicellular lineage. Mm -hmm. So there's a number of these multicellular lineages. It looks like complex multicellularity was relatively easy if you take the number of independent times that innovation came into existence as a measure of easiness. Or okay, so it actually yeah. happened more than once. And there was one time that took off and took over the world. But if you look at those facts that it did happen more than once, it doesn't seem quite as magical or miraculous or hard. Is right. that what you're so saying? Right, multicellularity. Yeah. Right. Uh, but... But to the eukaryotic cell, as far as we know, it happened once. So then it becomes. Oh, so I see what you're saying. So it's like this. You look at, um, you, 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 you walk into a town and you see all these homes that are made of these bricks, 
All right. It's it's very easy to figure out how those homes got there because all the bricks you see, hey, well, they're all made out of these bricks. Somebody stacked these bricks in a certain way. And that's how you got all these various shapes and forms of houses. But if somebody said, hey, so where did those bricks? How'd you get the bricks? Now you're like, oh, wait a minute. We we don't really know about how we got those bricks. Right. And there's only one One brick, brick. let's say. It's just one brick. They're all all the same. And where the heck did they come from? Where did they come from? (laughs) Now we got a now we got a mystery in our hands. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. I got you. Okay. That's yeah. Fucking fascinating. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. That's amazing. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I try to measure um, ease or difficulty of these steps by how many times they happened. How, right. How many, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, 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 you know, so I guess there's sort of two variants of answers on this question we've been probing. One is that it just didn't happen elsewhere beyond a certain stage because there was a hard stage that we were somehow lucky to have happen here. Another is that it happened elsewhere in a fundamentally different way and that there were somewhat different stages. And I'm I'm guessing that as as a sort of yeah. universalist that you seem to be, someone that's trying to fit everything into one story, that you would lean towards the former, that these stages um, are not just unique to this planet. But maybe I'm putting thoughts in your head here. Um, what the former is that there had to be a eukaryotic that, that kind If it of happened cell. elsewhere, it would happen the same way in terms of these same basic stages. Or is it possible that it, that it did, the complex life, that there are societies and, in, and organisms elsewhere, but they didn't follow these same stages? Wow. That's, but, 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 but with that, is Alice that- Alice Tyler. <laughs> I, I know you just <laughs> he sees me furling yeah, my you're like, brow here. Mm, you're like, Aha, I don't know. Well, the origin of life, David, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to the easy one. You're tripping me out, man. You know what? Um, I'm going to let you ponder that. I'm going to give you an out because we are actually going to take a little break here or coming to the end of the segment. I'm rescuing you. Maybe I'm rescuing all of us because I posed a question so hard, none of us can answer it. Um, but at any rate, uh, we're going to take a break. And uh, very shortly, we'll be back with more Star Talk All-Stars. Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. I'm your host, David Grinspoon, aka Dr. Funky Spoon on Twitter. I'm co hosting today with Chuck Nice. Uh. And joining us is our expert guest, NYU biologist Tyler Volk. Tyler is the author of a really cool new book called Quarks to Culture, that, by the way, just got a rave review in Science Magazine. So uh, if you're not quite ready to dive in and read the book, Google and read the review in Science Magazine, Quarks to Culture. And then once you read that, you'll decide you want to buy the book. Uh, So Tyler, uh, we're talking about uh, cosmic evolution, how we fit in, the different levels that led to this stage. I want to ask you about something that you've written about in previous books, because I'm sure there's a way in which it it fits into the theme of th- this overall theme that you've developed for this book. And that is a subject that is near and dear to my heart and I know to yours, which is the Gaia hypothesis. Okay. Uh, the Gaia hypothesis, uh, many listeners probably know, is a theory uh, or a hypothesis that was formulated in the, originally in the 1970s by James Lovelock and Lynn Margulis uh, that was a new way of thinking about life on Earth, that in some senses, the, the biosphere as, as a totality uh, resembles an organism, um, and that that can help 
the way we think about the evolution and nature of life and even the evolution and nature of our planet and even the fact that the planet and the life cannot easily be separated that that's one of the profound insights of gaia that the biosphere in a sense is the entire planet oh my god james cameron stole that idea for the movie <laughs> avatar yeah earth is pandora is that what you're telling me pretty much oh. pretty much yeah uh you know i think cameron cameron was influenced by uh love lock and margulis i like the word stole better well you know <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm joking creativity is theft <laughs> but, but tyler you've written books about Idiot. the gaia hypothesis and you've you've uh, just had a lot of interesting ideas that have influenced me. And uh, how does Gaia fit in to this sort of uber picture of evolution of quarks to culture? Okay, and are you happy talking about the biosphere? As absolutely, well, yeah. Is perhaps an equivalent term to yeah, Gaia? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, well, is there a difference? Um, to some people that, well, there might, in terms of biosphere theory, Gaia theory, you know, funky science theory, I don't know, <laughs> sort of a difference there, but, uh, but I like to use the word biosphere, although I'm happy using the word Gaia as the integrated system of atmosphere, ocean, soil, and life. Nice. I do not include the, the rock in that. So it's not the entire planet because. Mm. Because the time scales are so much longer for the rock. Rock, right. But the atmosphere, ocean, soil, and uh, life uh, are all interconnected on almost instantaneous time scales geologically. Hmm. Uh, in, in my book, CO2 Rising, I do a little thought process of our carbon dioxide that we exhale. And I wanted to think about where does it go? And it goes, we know it goes into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Some will go into the ocean and some will go into photosynthesis, into leaves, uh, green leaves across the planet. Right. And I wanted to know, well, where? How many leaves is it in? Uh, there's our breath, the CO2 from our breath. And it turns out that a, 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 an exhalation from a human being, every human being's exhalation, there will be carbon molecule, carbon atoms in the molecules of every leaf in the planet in the year after that. So, so from the breath, from this conversation we're having right now, a year from now, every leaf from the planet, a leaf on uh, in, in some forest in the Amazon. southern tip of South America, southern tip of will South have America. atoms that we have just from exhaled. Everybody's exhalation in this room are going to be mingled in the leaf of that atom. Oh man, I shouldn't have had those onions. <laughs> <laughs> really, quite a responsibility. Yeah, when yeah I'll tell you. And to, to every plant out there, I say I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's very cool. Now, I, now I, I bring that up to show the interconnection of all life forms that the atmosphere serves as a almost like a circulatory system. It's not, it's not encased in veins, but it's a free... So I, I used to say Gaia's circulatory system is for free. If you think of the organisms as being like cells that are connected into a giant body, uh, the circulation is for free. And the same happens in the ocean with the ocean, with the spinning of the ocean currents and the deep ocean currents. Yeah. A little bit slower time scale for the, for the full ocean circulation. That is about a thousand years for the full deep ocean to be circulated up to the surface. Mm -hmm. 
uh, although the surface circulates quicker, but still a thousand years on the cosmic it's nothing. time scales nothing. of this program yeah. are. It's interesting that, uh, just a, a quick aside, that you differentiated from the rocks because recently, and maybe this is my uh, bias as a planetary scientist and the time scales I think in, which are millions of years and longer. Yeah. Recently, I've been thinking of the entire Earth, including the mantle and even the core, as part of Gaia in the sense that. We've learned more and more that the chemical composition of the mantle, the earth as you go deep, way deeper than life goes, is altered and perturbed by the presence of life. There are these uh, nitrates and other things that are deep in the earth and affecting the nature of the rocks and even affecting plate tectonics that wouldn't be there if it wasn't for life. But you're right, that's acting on a much longer time scale. So I think your distinction is meaningful. But what I want to ask you now is you've given us a, a really cool way to think about Gaia and the way that we relate to all the life on the, in the, on the planet. But again, how does that fit into uh, quarks to culture? Mm. Um, can, can you draw it back and tell us how that fits into this sort of overall cosmic evolution picture you've drawn? One way to look at it is through evolution, that the biosphere, I don't see the biosphere itself as evolving. This depends on how you use the word evolution. Right. But if I, I use it in the book because I want to get into cultural evolution and show that cultural evolution, like biological evolution, has propagation of patterns, variation of patterns, and selection of patterns among a population of variants. So that happens when somebody like you and I publish our books, and there's a lot of books out there, David, right? And so we've done our variants on what's important to think about and do other people pick up on it or not. That's the... Well, and, and it's and funny because you... earlier Chuck was saying, you know, about Cameron stealing from right. Marcos and Lovelock, but in a way that's how cultural evolution works, right? Yeah. You take the same idea and you alter it in some way and you could look at it as stealing, but you could also look at it as propagating memes into the future and evolving ideas, right? Evolving yes. culture. Yes. And so with that in mind, um, you know, this connectivity, it sounds like what you're talking about is this, this deep connectivity, um, not only culturally, um, well, um, when you look at culture, when you take that connectivity and look at what we just talked about, like atoms being found in the leaves, am, am I just a hippie right now create, uh, making this kind of uh, uh, rejoinder in my mind of the connectivity of not just us to the planet, but us to each other and us to pretty much everything? Or is it, or is that? Or is that too much of a leap to make? And, you well, know, you're, you're I, I wouldn't say just a hippie, but you're definitely a hippie, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> but but but, so but it, and, and, it sounds and, to me and, like Tiger, you're talking and, about and more of it, and more of it, yeah. more of it. You're talking yeah, about on. You're talking about things joining together uh, at a level to make patterns, which then form the next level. So if you're talking about culture, that has to that has to be what Chuck's talking about, right? The way humans are interacting. We're the atoms in the molecules of culture, are we not? Uh, so to speak. Wow. Yep. Yep. The anthropologist. So looking God, into. I love this. <laughs> show. God damn it! I love it. <laughs> Whoa. I'm sorry. <laughs> do, like, do you have like a compressor or a limiter <laughs> or something for when Chuck starts to scream? I know, it, it, no, nobody talks about science this way. If only people knew that this is the stuff that you can get out of science. I'm sorry. This is what makes it so cool. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Wow. Now I'm starting to get excited. Chuck's <laughs> so excited. Uh, yeah. So since you brought up culture, uh, humans are in social groups. 
So the animal social group uh, in, in, in the scheme of combogenesis that I l laid out is, is level nine for animal social groups. And in a sense, we are animal social groups. Right. But a lot of people have said, yeah, there's something special going on with humans. You know, are we super ant colonies? Mm -hmm. Are we use social? And yes, but what I discovered looking at the, anth the anthropological literature is that anthropology Anthropologists talk about metagroups, mm -hmm. humans being in groups of groups mm -hmm. as a primary innovation that is n more than uh, the simple day-to-day -day primate right. groups in which they I'm sorry, tend to have outgroups that are you know, just in the neighboring woods. Humans can connect with groups over the mountain right. Through culture by wearing the same kinds of animal necklaces. So, th so this uh, this leads back into one of my favorite topics that we've discussed many times before. Speaking of anthropo, which is the Anthropocene. Mm -hmm. What is new about our time? About this human dominated, um, like it or not, yeah. time of Earth, and you know how does that map into? what you're talking about. And clearly, as you said, yeah, we're animal groups. There have been animal groups for, you know, hundreds of millions of years on the planet uh, to some degree, but there's some new kind of animal group here as manifested by the fact that we are, you know, making a radio show. This is not something that other, uh, for instance, this is, there are many things we do that, that other animals don't. So um, is that what you're talking about? That is it the groups of groups that uh, ultimately uh, gives us these, new, uh, for better or worse, uh, powers and qualities that have um, shown up on the earth as a result of this particular social animal? Y yes, to be short. <laughs> you, you ask me to be short sometimes with my answers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. but, but yeah. to elaborate, uh, after this level 10 of the meta group, then came uh, agriculture in which plants and animals, we then brought them into our groups and then the geopolitical state, which was the discovery that there could be takeover and acquisition of other polities. That's exactly what I was about to ask you. Is it these the, the thing that you're talking about? Because we see these um, traits represented in other animal groups. So everything that we're talking about. But these meta groups, we don't see. You right. know? So you don't see like lions from one part of the Sahara. I mean, not Sahara, from one part, the, you know, coordinating with the others. Serengeti. Serengeti, I was about to say. But you don't see that where they communicate and coordinate and all that kind of, which we do. But at the same time, that is also what's, which makes us the big a-hole group. Because in that, what we find are desires and wants and needs and scarcity of resources that cause us to now turn on one another. And these meta groups uh, actually end up going against one another. And that's when you get like two leaders talking about how big their buttons are and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I mean, we've got all these enhanced powers that come from our forming groups and groups and groups of uh, groups of groups and all this technology that allows us to spread our ideas through podcasts and what have you. So we're very powerful, but some of our base motivation is still the same as those lions on the Serengeti. And that that can be a problem yeah, if you yeah, just yeah, wanting, just yeah. wanting to take over territory and, and um, dominate uh, and kill. 
um, but you've gotten really, really powerful through technology and um, and culture. I'm scared to death right now. <laughs> <laughs> because we can't. I I just we can a little in my pants. <laughs> yeah, because society contains the animal bodies that have evolved to be certain ways. Like the, like we like our bodies contain the cells, and the cells are hungry. So we got to, in a way, we eat to feed them. You're, you're, you're kind of Uber of the, Uber of the, of, of, of the the uh, bacteria universe, right? But but isn't there a positive um, spin we could put on this too? I mean, if you look at these previous levels, we're talking about symbiosis. We're talking about, I mean, one of the big lessons of Lynn Margulis and endosymbiosis was that evolution is not all about competition uh, and survival of, you know, who can kill the most. It's about cooperation and forming larger groups and success through being nice, if you want to be hippie-ish about it. Uh, I mean, isn't that a theme, too, of uh, cooperation and and, and uh, forming groups that work well together on larger scales? Right. Definitely, because... It- even though we still have the animal body in our social groups, there's been changes with the what culture uh, trains people to be, for the most part, gentler than they than they would be. Uh, there is kind of a, a, a softening of, of the edges, and when the prokaryotic cells, to go back to that uh, level of combogenesis again, merge to form the eukaryotic cell, the bacterian archaean ones that merged had to, well, there was a transfer of control. The genome, as, as David, you would know, goes from the bacteria, went into the nucleus of, of what became the nucleus of this eukaryotic cell. So there does have to be a new level of cooperation to have a new larger thing that has innovative relations that allows the next, I'm getting a little abstract here, but that allows the next level of combogenesis to happen that could not have happened two levels down, so you could not have had the planetary society we might be building, hopefully, if it's a good... You don't mean the Bill Nye planetary society. <laughs> <laughs> well, that may, be mean, a, yeah. that may be an example. That might be an example. <laughs> good example. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, we're going to have to wrap up this segment, but you, you, you're, you're giving me some interesting ideas for what I want to talk to when we come back about where this all might be going, and I want to... Um, Sorry, Doc, but I want to get back to the future uh, when when we return. But for now... Marty, it's your kids, Marty! (laughs) We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with more about cosmic evolution when StarTalk All-Stars returns. Welcome back to StarTalk All-Stars. I'm David Grinspoon, a.k.a. Dr. Funky Spoon. I'm here with Chuck Nice hey. and our guest, Dr. Tyler Volk, who is the author of Quarks to Culture. Uh, and we are, uh, it's a big story, Quarks to Culture, and uh, we've only got one show here, so we're skipping over some of the details, but we're- That's we're, why you buy the book. Yeah, that's why you buy the book. <laughs> the, the, this is just the, the teaser, but we're going, we're going into some aspects of that. And one thing that I really want to talk about now is- where might this all be going? You've talked about the levels, the hierarchical levels that perhaps made us, that explain why we're here today in some fashion, how quarks became atoms and molecules and simple cells and more complex cells and organisms, societies, all that. A um, nesting, a series of nesting. The nesting of structures uh, and combinations. But there's no reason to believe, is there, that we are the apotheosis of cosmic evolution. We may be the first stage that is capable of 
looking at it and saying, oh, this is an interesting journey. How did we get here? I mean, I, I would say it's likely that we are the first stage uh, that, that can do that, that can have this conversation. And so that marks us as, you know, we're an interesting point in cosmic evolution. But I don't think there's any reason to think that, okay, this is it. Uh, you know, this is the end of the, end of the book. Uh, somebody's going to have to write another book in another billion years that tells what, what happened after this. So, Tyra, do you have any ideas about what the next stages might be and what uh, is there a way to think about the future that comes out of your analysis here? Um, well, I'm not going to have a, a, a totalistic kind of answer, but I will say let's continue with this for a little bit because we are living in exciting times. Uh, People talk about, are we going to utopia? Are we going to oblivion? Armageddon. Armageddon. <laughs> right. Why is it we are making this world and yet we don't know? Are we at the cusp of a new level of combogenesis by a planetization uh, event in which current levels of organization, let's say the nation state is a ev cultural evolutionary descendant of the ancient geopolitical states, mm -hmm. are, are we at the cusp of something new? And so therefore we are feeling and seeing for forays into possibilities of what that new might be, but then retrogressive reactions at the same time. So what you just said reminds me of every Bond villain ever. <laughs> because what you just said is the primary motivation that directs the actions of the Bond villain. And that is the nation state, uh, geopolitical state that we live in right now is unsustainable. And therefore, through fire, I shall bring about a new beginning. Once I burn it all down, we shall rebuild a utopia out of the ashes. Like a phoenix, we shall rise. Wow. A perfect society. Uh, not that I've ever thought about it. <laughs> so I'd like to, yeah, to riff. That, Chuck. I, I, what, I, when I saw you deliver that, there was a moment when I thought he's not just acting. <laughs> <laughs> now you know. Now you know my secret little fantasies when I'm at home in front of the mirror. <laughs> do, you, do you stroke a small animal while yes, you? Yes, exactly. And it's a ferret, not a cat. <laughs> but yeah, go, you know what? I'm well, saying? if I can riff on that just Please for a second, because yeah. this is a per, this is perfect. Uh, um, so, so I've been contemplating this, and I do it in the epilogue of the book, the uh, possibility of a new level, or whether it's even a new dynamical realm, which would be even bigger. But just to stay with the new level, one way I like to think about this is in these Bond characters that want to sort of take over you know, you know, the world in a certain sense, uh, or, or, and be a, be a dictator, or, or the, the Blade Runner vision, which is a corporation, you know, running things. To me, that is just the geopolitical state's innovation writ bigger. <clears throat> and therefore, I would not see it as a fundamental innovation. For example, to have a, a world government that is anything like current governments. So it would just be current, one current government wins and gets bigger. So what I see this, this way of thinking about this grand sequence of steps of combogenesis is that since every level has to be really fundamentally new and different, and not, not that it's completely in another dimension, of course, but we would look for 
transcendence of prior existing modalities into a planetary scale, which tells us, and us, we who like to discuss these things, we could get farther out about how we think this planetary scale may operate than any traditional government model we might have in our minds. Well, and one thing that is really rapidly changing, if you want to talk about the fact that it's not just scaling up on all these levels that you've discussed, you mentioned, it's not just scaling up the way things interact at smaller levels. It's a new kind of interaction that always forms. The world is rapidly changing as far as how the the molecules, if you will, in this next level, the human beings mm-hmm. interact with, uh, with yeah. connectivity and new technology. And the world is being knit together in all these ways. That's It's frightening, but it's also very unpredictable. It's not going to be just a larger scale mm-hmm. what we've had before because the, the physics, if you will, of how we interact are so different. And we're at this strange state now where, as you mentioned, nation states don't seem to be adequate to solving a lot of our big problems. I mean, one obvious one that we've talked about before is climate change, where if everybody's in it for themselves, how do we deal with the global problem? Global commons, the global commons. And yet, as Chuck so eloquently put it, the the notion of global world government um, rightfully probably scares the crap out of us. Yes. So one way I sometimes think of it is the evolution of global governance, which is not the same as world government, that we need just enough coordination in the right areas to basically take care of ourselves and not blow it. But that doesn't mean that everything has to be the one, the world state. I uh, like that. I like mm. that terminology a lot, David. Yeah. Uh, governance is different than government. Government, yeah, really yeah. Different. and it's yeah, sort of looser yeah. and allows for a little bit more. Uh, it opens up local the mind yeah, to well, yeah. it's local it, adaptation. What what might this be? Uh, here, here, oh, go ahead. I was okay. going to ask this though, what, what, just on the back of what you just said, yeah. David, which is beautiful, by the way. Um, do you, when you talk about the fact that we, as the molecules uh, in this system, are evolving, would you think that perhaps one of the answers to us going in the right direction is uh, if we were to think of it like Carl, if we were to evolve individually? So, and I use education as the great, I'll call that the catalyst for innovation, okay, according to your terms, okay. Uh, uh, if you were to educate, everyone on the planet to a certain level, wouldn't that automatically precipitate the type of change that would positive change that would need to lead to that point, what you were talking about, David, which is governance, you know, where the influence of these masses would then place pressure to create this type of system. Yeah. I mean, something like that seems likely. We don't know. And it's hard to imagine we're going to educate everybody to some level, but on a positive note, uh, you know, and it's very easy to be bummed out about what's happening in the world now. But if you look at some long-term trends, there's a lot of very positive ones, including yeah. levels of education globally and levels of illiteracy are going hugely in the right direction over time. Illiteracy rates are falling in education, even though in our current society, it sometimes seems hard to believe. Globally, education is going up, up, up as far as the average level. And yeah. so if something like what you're postulating could happen, and it seems like to me as though something like that is you know moving in that direction as a consequence of larger of greater educational levels is is likely then then that is a reason to be hopeful cool yeah chuck i think david and i have both written about the importance of uh, everyone becoming biosphere citizens and so 
to be planetary and to maybe come up with these new ideas. Maybe governance would not come out automatically, but I do think that what you said, Chuck, was right on about education of a certain kind that would lead people to think creatively because I think this has to be a group uh, creative effort to mm. come up with some new mechanisms uh, and social social structures uh, to do that. And what I like about the education idea also is that it is focused on the individual because one of the concerns that I have myself just being alive now in this is, is planetization is happening is, is I become smaller and smaller in a certain sense. And we could see a back reaction from people if they're not respected as individuals uh, in, in this new, in this new well, high, you could even higher argue system. That so that what's is, the role of the individual? Yeah, you could even argue that that's some of what's happening now with these quote, uh, popular uh, movements around around the globe where people are feeling left behind by globalization and uh, reacting in ways that are maybe not that healthy for the planetization. Um, but here's, here's a question I want to ask you to sort of bring it back to uh, the universal and maybe even some implications for astrobiology, which is how robust is this scenario? Going into the future, um, this doesn't necessarily depend on us getting it together. At least in my view, we would like to. Think well, what doesn't the, what, this this notion this? of planetization and going to, on to to more levels? Like, like you're just, saying, the biosphere was planetized anyway. Well, well, what I'm getting at is, what if we blow it? Um, will something else? Will some other species eventually do this? Uh, do they, are these levels robust to he, not having it be human beings? What if? What if the you know the leaders worrying about who's got the bigger button, <laughs> actually push that button. And, you know, we're back to Charlton Heston on the beach going, God damn you all to hell. Blow it up! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Then, then... Uh, uh, what primate species might arise? Primates raccoons, or someone else. Raccoons? I'm not, I'm not so much asking... I got my money on the raccoons. I'm not so much <laughs> asking you to make a, a specific prediction, although I'm interested in that. But it's more, is this robust enough? So that, is there an inexorable force um, of this kind of coagulation of new levels such that it would happen even if it wasn't us. Man, you're asking a really tricky metaphysical question. I am. That's that's why we pay you the big bucks, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> My subway fare down here. Thank you. Uh, it sounds um, like inevitability, though. Well, when you use the word force, see, see, the way I see this sequence of combogenesis in the grand sequence, I don't see combogenesis as a force in that way. It's but when something new comes and when the when you had cells that then have a waste product the nutrient exchange that leads to possibility of the pro, of the eukaryotic cell which leads to possibilities of the multicellular organism so i see this as 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 navigating through a kind of a possibility space the reason i say it was metaphysical cuz you could say we existed in potential Mm. At the Big Bang, right? Mm -hmm. right? I mean, right. and so what? The, what is where? Where is this potential? People, Simon Conway Moore, as they call, it, is like uh, hyperspace possibilities, possibility space. I mean, you're cool with that language. What does that really mean? So that's the metaphysical part, and that's why I wouldn't say it's a force, though. That it's not a force of physics. It's not a right. It's not a. It's not a force. No, it's not a force like gravity or entropy or or, but, or directionality. But, but is, is not, it a tendency? The tendency to 
yes, I do believe I do believe the it was a possibility when the universe formed to give rise to structures that could combine into other structures with new relations that had the possibility to form new structures with new relations and on and on. So there was a possibility of this sequence of possibilities happening. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to take that as a yes. <laughs> I'm going with yes. Yeah. So at the moment of the Big Bang, yes. there was not necessarily going Thanks to- Thanks for summing up. Yeah, yeah. At the moment of the Big Bang, there was not necessarily going to have to be a Chuck Nice, but there was going to have to be something like or someone like Chuck Nice. Yeah, I'm sure in another universe, there's a much better Chuck Nice than this guy right here. <laughs> much nicer. Yeah. Well, in, thi in thinking about the future and whether whether it has to happen, whether it's it's us or someone else, I'm reminded of a, a quote by Franz Kafka where he says, hope? Oh, yes. There's plenty of hope, but not for us. <laughs> let's go for it, though. Let's go for it. And on that let's, note, let's, good night, Timmy. Sleep well. <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. do something great. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I, I think we could go on uh, talking with you, Tyler, for a long time. We've really just scratched the surface. If, you, if you're interested in this stuff, and how could you not be, uh, check out Tyler's book, Quarks to Culture. It's, it's a really good read. And uh, this has just been wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much for, for dropping by, Tyler, and talking to us. Thanks, and, guys. And Thanks. thank you, Chuck. This has been another fun one. Always a pleasure. Uh, and with that, we have to end. Thank you very much. I am your host, David Grinspoon, a.k.a. Dr. Funky Spoon. Until next time, keep it funky. Funky.